0: webinar as you can see we try and reach out to all the academics of pakistan wherever they are and we try and extend the conversation across a wide range of topics today i'm very happy to invite my old friend Farooq iqbal who is him, who was until recently the vice chancellor of iba the most well-known business school plus now university in pakistan former World Banker, long career in the World Bank, and PhD uh, from um, Yale, I think, and um, BA from Harvard. So very well accomplished guy, very well, um, you know, lots of publications, etc. Today, he's going to present to us a very important paper that he's been working for a while with Adil Nakhoda. Adel Nakhoda is also a professor at IBA in Karachi, a bright young spark who's rising uh, farm size and age, firm size and age as determinants of employment growth evidence from Pakistan. So I'm really looking forward to it because it's great to come back to some hardcore economics and see what we are doing. Uh, we have examined a set of wide range of subjects ranging from NEPRA to energy to civil service to uh, yesterday um, we did um, uh, aid. So we've done a number of subjects. So let's see what we can learn about industry today. We have been missing out industry and employment. So welcome, Farouq. I'll give up. Hand it over to
1: you. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Nadim. Um, if uh, if everyone can hear my voice, I'll start. Uh, so first of all, let me thank uh, uh, PIDE and especially uh, Dr. ul Haq, the Vice Chancellor, for. Uh, arranging this webinar. Um, I'm based right now in Washington DC and I'm um, amazed to see how easily I have been able to keep in touch with academic as well as uh, policy affairs in Pakistan, even though I've been out of the country for many months and I'm not able to physically travel there as of this moment. I am speaking on behalf of myself as well as my co-author, Dr. Adil Nakuda, who is a professor at IBA Karachi. Uh, We have been working on this issue for a while, firm size and age as determinants of employment growth. Uh, I'll speak for about uh, 30 minutes. um, And I'll take some questions along the way if I can uh, manage the technology. but uh, certainly we will have room at the end uh, uh, for questions and answers. I understand also that there are a couple of assigned uh, reviewers, so we will have some organized uh, comments as well. Um, And for those of you who are interested, a draft paper is available at my email address, so at the end of this uh, presentation, I'll give you my email address and you can Write to me directly. I'll be happy to send you the draft.
0: Baruch, why I should have thought about it earlier. Why don't you send us a draft? We'll also put it on the PID website.
1: All right, I will do that. I will send a draft to the pide uh, as well. Uh, very good. So uh, I am now trying to start. Like I seem to have frozen on this page. Uh, I can't move to the next page. So um, can I get some help on this, uh, uh, on the screen sharing? Should I exit and re-enter the screen? Yes, I think that'll be wise.
0: Michael, as well do exit. OK, too.
1: I'm going to do stop share. And okay. then I will go back to screen share from the bottom. Here we go. Uh, and here we go. OK. Hmm. Uh, no, this one won't work either. So I'm going to just try all over again. But this time, let me do... Don't do the
0: slideshow. I've often found not doing the slideshow is better than doing the slideshow. Better?
1: Show. Okay. Then I'll, I'll try the other version. That's what I was going to... Okay, let's try this. Okay, we have this now. Uh... work. All right. Okay, it's a... a I'm going to try the slideshow one more time because I had it uh, sequenced properly, but uh, if that doesn't work, uh, we'll go back to this. Uh, uh, let's try one more time. Okay, start from the beginning. Okay, Okay. here we go. So a little bit of the context uh, before we proceed into the material. Um, the context is as Everyone involved with industrial policy uh, knows that size-based industrial policy is uh, very common in both developed and developing countries, uh, basically meaning that uh, there is an entire domain of industrial policy where uh, uh, size is is a major determinant of the content of the policy, meaning essentially that small firms are given certain uh, subsidies and benefits and advantages and so on and so forth. Um, In terms of Pakistan, you're familiar with the the State Bank of Pakistan. They have a a number of policies, mostly relating to uh, lending quotas for banks, uh, provision of refinance through uh, various uh, guarantee facilities, uh, risk coverage for uh, loans made to smaller firms, Um, and value chain financing, uh, special terms for technology adoption by small firms and so on and so forth. So there's a bunch of things that the state bank uh, manages. Um, Then there is also SMEDA, the Small and Medium uh, Enterprise Development Authority. They of course do um, uh, much more in in terms of business development services, facilitation of access to finance, uh, a training for SMEs, uh, certif- help with certification, uh, international certification for SMEs, sector studies, and so on and so forth. So there's a bunch of support services available. Uh, typical rationales uh, that are uh, used um, to support uh, size-based industrial policy uh, include positive externalities on output productivity and employment. In other words, it is argued that uh, small firms contribute uh, disproportionately to their um, size uh, to output productivity employment. Uh, We focus here in this paper on just employment growth. And the idea would be that small firms are regarded to be more dynamic in terms of employment growth. They generate employment faster uh, than than firms of uh, larger size. So we'll we'll just focus on that and not uh, go into the output and productivity rationales, although I'll point out later that it's the output and productivity rationales that have dominated in Pakistan. But uh, uh, for the moment, employment growth. So the link with employment growth comes about, in a very straightforward fashion, if you think of the stylized uh, life cycle of a typical firm, Uh, Yes, it starts at a small size and then it uh, grows over time. And in the early years, there's uh, more dynamism, but at some point, uh, decreasing returns to scale set in, and the firm, uh, uh, the growth rate of the firm, uh, stabilizes, plateaus, and in some cases, possibly even um, uh, decreases. So, if you kind of draw a mental picture, it would be of uh, essentially a fairly rapid uh, uh, rise in the beginning, uh, flattening out, top of the hill kind of thing, and then a slight decline at the end. That would be considered the typical life cycle of a firm. Uh, so that, in that kind of model, it's easy to see that uh, size itself is uh, driving employment growth. Uh, so that's fine. That would be... Uh, Uh, something where uh, you could argue that uh, employment growth is linked to size. But in the literature, it's also been pointed out that you would get a similar outcome, similar um, profile for the life cycle uh, uh, pattern uh, of a firm if you thought in terms of age, how old the firm is. Uh, And again, here, the idea here is that uh, when a firm is young, it's characterized by um, by managers who've got new ideas who've got uh, who are uh, risk takers and so they grow fast when when they're young and then with age as uh, uh, a typical profile of risk aversion sets in you would expect a plateauing and possibly a falling in the size of the firm uh, but this would be driven not by the um, size dynamics, but by age, that it's the age of the, let's say the uh, owner manager that matters. But both of these um, processes would generate very similar profiles. And therefore from an empirical point of view, and obviously for policy, it's important to disentangle the size effects from from the age effects so as to be able to based policy on what turns out to be the appropriate uh, uh, source of dynamism. Uh, So here, uh, let me just give you a very quick uh, introduction to some of the uh, evidence that's available. From the global side, there has been um, a fair Amount of information for a long period of time, going back to the 70s at least, um, to uh, my graduate school days, uh, where uh, uh, it's been shown that uh, size matters. That in, in the U.S. literature, for example, uh, there have been studies starting in, in back in the 70s, but a, a very recent one also in uh, just about 10 years ago. Um, that reinforce this idea that uh, small size leads to more dynamism. Uh, but at the same time, there's also been studies more uh, dating back uh, again a, a few decades, uh, showing that both size and age matter. And in fact, there is a very recent study in Review of Economic Statistics, I think it's 2013, uh, where when they uh, they claim that if you adjust for age, the Effect of size disappears in the US data. Um, so there's, you know, this, this has implications for policy. Is it size? Is it age? What should you do? Uh, it's important to get it right. Uh, there is also some evidence for developing countries, and uh, uh, based on World Bank databases uh, collected in the last 20 to 20, 30 years, uh, there have been a number of studies which basically show that both size and age matter, and they both have um, a, uh, an inverse relationship with uh, employment growth. So small size matters and young age matters. That's essentially the uh, state of the empirical art, if you will, uh, from available evidence. Uh, now, unfortunately, there's a lack of evidence for Pakistan on this. Uh, there are there's only one study I could find in the last 30 years which directly looks at uh, the impact of size on uh, employment dynamism and uh, does not find it to be uh, statistically significant. Uh, there is also a study where age is, where age is included in the, um, among the determinants and uh, not found to be significant. The problem with these studies is that they're not actually looking for size and age effects. Their focus was on other aspects of of, uh, the um, behavior of uh, small firms and the determinants of small firm dynamism. Uh, But they happen to have size and age in different studies. There's not a single study, which I've come across, where size and age are are, uh, examined together in the case of Pakistan. Uh, So this is something that uh, uh, we should keep in mind. Um, And it's important to to realize that uh, much of the policy discussion uh, that I've come across for Pakistan uh, seems to have been based on looking at uh, the output and uh, productivity effects of size. Uh, rather than the employment growth. And one of the reasons for that is because Pakistan had not, until the 2000s, actually collected information at the individual firm level on employment growth. Uh, The census of manufacturing uh, industries or establishments contained data on size of firm and, uh, you know, but there was no, um, it it, it did not have information on the change in the size within the same, uh, uh, within the same um, survey. Uh, That's right, it's a census, it simply takes a snapshot at time. Um, So uh, the researchers have been handicapped at least in the case of Pakistan by by this fact that the census of manufacturing um, industries did not provide sufficient data to test for this effect. Uh, and, of course, as you know, for the last 15 years or so, no new census of manufacturing has been um, at least um, at least um, released. So that's the... Uh, all right. So what is our empirical strategy? Uh, I'm going to describe that by saying, first of all, our goal is to make sure that we can uh, sorry compare... Uh, sorry to interrupt, sir. Sir, can you please share, share the slides again, sir? Uh, shared meaning uh, stop screen sharing yeah, and start yeah, again?
2: Exactly, sir.
1: Okay. Yeah, I can see some uh, uh, invasion has taken place. Uh, yeah, exactly. All right. So stop share. Here we go.
0: Shall I start again? Yes, sir. Go ahead. Okay.
1: Sir. Share screen. Here we go. And now I'm going to do this. but uh, this one is not, sh- is not moving, so I'm, oh, here we go, it is moving, so, uh, all right. Um, so this seems uh, better. You know, our empirical strategy is essentially to follow the same empirical model that global studies have, so that's what we'll do in order to be able to facilitate comparison. We don't want to be in a situation where we find, we find different results, but then you know, the model itself is different. Uh, so that's what we'll do. And by that, I mean, we'll define the dependent variables the same way, we'll use fixed effects more or less the same way that's done in the global studies. And uh, we will uh, disaggregate the data by size and age groups more or less the same way. Uh, So I'll quickly sort of get into that. And then we'll have a few robustness checks via control variables that I'll mention. But our focus is on size and age, and not really on the control variables. Uh, Very good. So that's our strategy uh, now first of all, let me tell you a little bit about the sample. Uh, so we have used a sample from the World Bank uh, Enterprise Survey Series. Uh, our, um, the Enterprise Series that we have used is 2013 to 2015. I'm not aware if uh, anything uh, uh, more recent is available. Uh, uh, but. Uh, uh, this particular survey had um, surveyed 1,247 firms. It is stratified uh, by size, industry, and region. It's a random sample. Uh, we focus only on the manufacturing firms uh, from that uh, sample, and we have 975 good observations to use. So uh, that's what we attempt to use. And then, of course, depending on which variables you, you use in different models, the total number of observations can vary. But that's what we do, Uh, and this allows, this survey has been um, been in place for many years. uh, They have modified and improved it along the way. Uh, But uh, the great advantage of this survey is that they ask questions that allow you to uh, define uh, employment growth, and that's basically They ask you what is the size of the firm right now in terms of both uh, permanent or full time uh, and uh, uh, part time workers. Uh, But they also ask what was the firm size two years ago. So you can calculate an empirical, you can calculate an employment growth term, uh, which is based on current employment and uh, employment two years ago. Uh, And then, of course, there's a very large range of firm characteristics. uh, including both, including age, that help you um, examine this further. Of course, samples like this uh, have one bias, which is that uh, they only include survivors. Firms that had huge employment shifts and exited, for example, would not be captured by this. So there is a certain uh, bias towards, uh, let's call it success, if you will, um, in, in samples like this. Um, So this is essentially the basis of our work and I'm going to present it first, Uh, I'll I'll present the results uh, uh, in terms of the basic model. The basic model is simply a model in which we look at size and age. Those are the only determinants and we have fixed effects, which are industries There are about, uh, I forget exactly, but uh, maybe 18 or 20 industry groups, those are fixed effects and regions, the four, uh, four main regions of Pakistan. The, we have region fixed effects. But that's it, size, age, and fixed effects. That's what we've got in the basic model. Then we do the standard disaggregation. And the standard disaggregation is we take uh, two size groups, uh, uh, medium and large, uh, which means that the small size group is excluded. That's the one. Uh, and so we compare our results with the excluded group. And for age, again, we have, uh, let's say, uh, uh, middle and mature or something, and we we exclude the young uh, age group. In this uh, case, uh, we define young as less than 10 years of age, and I'll give you a little more information on that later. But firms less than 10 years of age become the excluded category, so we are uh, looking at the uh, coefficient sizes and significance and signs uh, based on these exclusions. And then the fuller model is simply the basic model plus uh, a, a certain number of, uh, of uh, control variables, which I will discuss as well. Um, so the main result, uh, I hope you can see this table. The main result is that size does have a negative, uh, a significant negative effect, strong, uh, strongly significant effect in our uh, sample. Age does not. And in the second column, when we uh, disaggregate the sample, uh, it's very clear that uh, that uh, small firms grow faster than medium and larger firms. The signs on the medium and larger firms are negative. But again, there seems to be no effect of age. The excluded age group, uh, the included age groups do, are not significant. And uh, uh, so we have to accept the uh, hypothesis that there is uh, no uh, difference in uh, growth rates by by age groups um, that's uh, that's sort of the basic model uh, I'll quickly go to the to the robustness model in which we've added a, a number of control variables so that we can uh, discuss those as well uh, this, I'm sorry this is there's a lot of information here but uh, those who are interested, when you see the table in in, in the draft paper, you'll be able to see the details, but I will run over the main results again. The main results are there is when you have a whole bunch of control variables, and by the way, the control variables here are whether or not the firm had international certification, whether or not it offered formal training to its workers, whether or not it was an exporter, whether or not it had a new loan or a line of credit, that's the access to finance information, and whether or not it owned or shared a generator, that's the uh, availability of electric power uh, variable. And finally, there are two others, uh, whether or not they had received a visit from a tax official, that's supposed to capture uh, the impact of, uh, uh, let's just call it, regulatory burden you know the burden of the government on firm uh, and finally whether or not the firm self reports uh, having a new product so it's a, a measure of innovation um, so these are the control variables and we picked them because they are to be found in the general literature both global and pakistani uh, for um, uh, for uh, the determination of determinants of uh, of uh, small firm uh, productivity and employment growth and so on and so forth. Uh, So the main results are even with the addition of a large number of control variables, the results remain exactly the same. The uh, size is significant, strongly, age is not. When we disaggregate into different categories, we get the same size is significant small firms grow faster than small firms. by the way here are defined as those less than 20 workers uh, small firms grow faster than medium and large firms uh, and there is no effect of age different control variables turn out to be significant or not significant i you know, i'm uh, i am will not really go into a discussion of that because there's a, a larger literature that we can look at uh, for the moment i'll simply say that uh, uh, it turned out that variables such as whether or not you're certified and whether you train your workers turn out to be positively related. In other words, the growth rate of such firms is higher than uh, uh, without. And uh, the, uh, we found no effect of access to finance and uh, uh, a negative effect for innovation, uh, which was surprising. But remember that many people would argue that these variables... Uh, are endogenously related to employment growth, and therefore, they have to be tested in a different fashion, which is fine. That that would be uh, appropriate to do. Uh, It does turn out, of course, that um, the one uh, clearly exogenous variant, visit by tax officials, does impose a cost on employment growth. Firms that uh, get visited by tax officials grow less fast. So in a sample of roughly 800 plus observations, manufactured firms, we get this picture. But the big picture, and I'll come to the main results now once again, is age is not a significant determinant of employment dynamism. Size is a significant determinant. In all variations of the model, it is inversely related to employment growth. The smaller the firm, the higher the employment growth we observe. And we also see that the impact of size is concentrated at the smaller end of the distribution of firms. Um, With this as background, I'd like to now discuss or explore some implications of the findings um, so that we can have a richer discussion about what is going on. So the first is age, why is age not a significant determinant of employment growth in pakistan uh, as it is for example in several global studies uh, we will look for some information on uh, in our sample on um, the age dist- the frequency distribution of age in, in our sample and we we'll look for in some information on barriers to entrepreneurship as well right uh, so the first thing is are there barriers to entry in manufacturing, and we find some evidence of that. And for that, I'm giving you here a chart which shows you the distribution of firms in our sample by age. This has a very interesting feature, which is it is not left skewed. Small, young firms are not dominating the sample. Uh, In fact, there's only only 3% of the sample consists of firms that are five years of age or less. Now, in in most international studies, that's considered the statistical definition of a startup. You're young, you're less than five years of age. And that's also where most of the dynamism is found. In Pakistan, we are not finding enough firms in that category who are in the manufacturing sector. So why is that the case? Well, uh, one, ex- one uh, explanation could simply be that firms, young firms, when they are set up, avoid formal registration. Remember, these, uh, our sample consists of firms that have formal registration. That's how they were identified and surveyed. Uh, there are no informal firms here. Uh, so formal. So young firms avoid formal registration because they perceive the, uh, the hassle costs of uh, uh, of registration, let's say, to be higher than the potential benefits. Uh, and it is only when they are a few years old, let's say, you know, five or above, that and established, that they feel that they are in a position to take on the. Added costs of registration because they see some benefits, uh, uh, the potential benefits being higher from that point on. Just a speculation, but it seems to come from this observation that, unlike many other cases, uh, the distribution has very, very few firms. Um, as I said, less than three, uh, three just about three percent of the sample uh, is made up of firms of less than five years of age. If I had given you to um, the uh, f- frequency distribution of firms by size you would see a huge left skewness aspect to that you know the largest number of firms all bunched up on the left hand side where size is small uh, but when we do it by age we don't get that uh, outcome uh, in this case uh, by the way the data the uh, enterprise survey data also contains information on on uh, uh, whether or not the firm was uh, formally registered at establishment. And it turns out that 24% of the firms in our sample report that they were not formally registered when they were first established, meaning they got established and then after a few years, they chose to get registered, Uh, which again is in line with the general point I'm making is that There are some barriers to entering. Uh, Well, not barriers to entry as much as barriers to to formal registration. Uh, Firms may avoid that because they see some costs. Uh, But one outcome of that that is that you see uh, a small fraction of firms who are young in age. And therefore, if uh, if our conceptual model is correct, that the young in age are the ones which are more dynamic, uh, you would expect to see uh, a limited contribution to employment dynamism from the firms here because there are just very few of them. To check this particular piece of speculation, I've also looked at the evidence from entrepreneurship surveys. Uh, there, are, uh, there were several entrepreneurship surveys done in about 10 years ago. 2011-12 uh, is one that I'm using here. And I understand that that entrepreneurship survey has been repeated in 2019-20. I don't have access to the latest results except for one uh, piece, and I'll report that. But based on the Global Economic Entrepreneurship Monitor Survey of Pakistan in 2011-2012, we find that Pakistanis in general are not entrepreneurial. total early stage entrepreneurship rate for opportunity-based investment is, uh, 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 opportunity-based entrepreneurship is only 3%. Meaning uh, among all adults surveyed, again, random survey of adults, it turned out that only 3% had set up uh, businesses uh, that were based on opportunity. They, you know, the, the GEM database distinguishes between opportunity-based and need-based uh, uh, entrepreneurship. Need-based would be like a farmer. Uh, a farmer's son taking up farming is need-based. But uh, a, a, an opportunity-based would be someone thinking entrepreneurially, wanting to try their hand at entrepreneurship. Uh, this is self-reported, of course, but uh, since GEM is a global database, they they are able to compare this thing across the world. Anyhow, the T rate for opportunity-based entrepreneurship in Pakistan is only 3%, uh, which compares with 9% among low-income competitors, again, from the same database uh, and the same from the sample for that year. Um, I've also checked uh, the global GEM report for 2020, uh, uh, provides uh, some data for Pakistan, and uh, the This rate, the T rate, seems to be now around 3.4%. Not a big difference. But all this by way of saying that uh, whatever we might think individually, the data do not show Pakistanis to be very entrepreneurial. Uh, So once again, uh, we might say that the results for age seem to be dominated by the fact that uh, uh, firms don't registered to uh, uh, registered as manufacturing firms because the, of the perceived costs uh, and uh, if you consider even non manufacturing firms all entrepreneurs pakistan is not all that entrepreneurial to begin with uh, so very few firms are being created as it were okay uh, businesses are being created uh, now we go on to some further uh, aspects of size what I what I'm showing you here is a, a chart, a scatter plot, showing firm growth on the left-hand side and the number of employees or so size of firm on the right-hand side. And uh, this recreates, uh, you know, using non-parametric methods, uh, the same results that we found through the regression analysis. One, that there's a general uh, downward slope to the relationship. Uh, younger firms. Um, are more dynamic. There's a lot more employment growth there. And in larger firms, the uh, growth rate drops. Uh, So there's that inverse relationship. Uh, Second, that uh, much of the action is taking place at the left-hand side. Uh, I mean, roughly after a size of 50 or so, the relationship between employment growth and size becomes roughly flat. Uh, so that has implications for policy. What's the right size to focus on? Uh, this suggests somewhere in the you know neighborhood of fifty. But there's a third aspect as well that I'd like to uh, highlight, which is there is a lot of churning among small firms. Small firms not only have high rates of employment growth, they also have high rates of job destruction. Look at the uh, activity below the line, below the uh, zero. Uh, Right. Now that's also normal, expected in global data. You see that all the all the way that small firms are not only uh, dynamic in terms of job creation, but they are also the ones where jobs are lost uh, large numbers at, at high rates. Uh, which means that um, this is a dilemma that I'm not sure uh, policymakers in Pakistan um, face up to. Uh, which is that if you simply have a simple rule about what size uh, firm can apply for loans uh, or, or can be eligible, um, uh, are you really picking, uh, quote unquote, the ones that are more likely to be net job creators uh, and not picking the ones that could be net job destroyers? Uh, something to keep in mind as we think further. So, first slide, I'm to talk about the policy implications. Uh, the first clearly is that uh, we should think about the barriers to entry. Why are firms not registering? What can be done about that? Uh, the second one, by the way, is more interesting, which is um, why are Pakistanis not very entrepreneurial? Um, by the way, in the GEM database, uh, they point out, because they ask these questions, they point out that Pakistanis, um, Report a a rather high rate of fear of failure as one reason for not being, for wanting to set up businesses. So there's this fear of failure thing. And then, of course, there are cultural reasons that, uh, you know, which may be related to fear of failure. Um, And then finally, I think, uh, although this is, I have not really um, uh, looked into this in detail, but I think uh, the bankruptcy regime in Pakistan, where uh, failure, could if failure in the case where you have some bank loans or some individual uh, loans may result in um, uh, jail sentences and things like that? I think that may be an issue uh, It's certainly worth investigating. Um, so one of the implications simply is that uh, we need to do, know a little bit more about, uh, uh, about why young firms are not registering and why uh, uh, people are not forming more businesses. Uh, in the first place. right. Uh, the second policy implication is that uh, we have a bunch of size-based programs uh, and the data I presented here today suggests that you know, they should probably be focused on firms of 50 workers or less, right? And that some attempt should be made to look for information that would distinguish between net creators of jobs versus net destroyers, so within the among the small group you 've got to look for that, but uh, frankly, without more research on the um, uh, characteristics that are associated with net creation versus net destruction, this is going to be difficult but I, I hope there is some graduate student listening to this or, or assistant professor or someone who would be, you know would look into this and maybe uh, do the research that would help us uh, figure this out. Uh, uh, And finally, uh, if you think that policy should be focused on firms of 50 workers or less, then I think we should rethink uh, the channels and methods of support. Uh, It's not clear to me at all that commercial banks are best placed to help firms that have 50 workers or less. Uh, perhaps uh, microfinance firms are better placed. Uh, again, I don't have an answer. I just think that uh, commercial banks are not necessarily, uh, uh, do not have the cost structures that uh, or uh, 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 sort of uh, personnel and staff and so on and so forth uh, to really understand uh, very small firms, 50 workers or less. Um, the other aspect, of course, is that perhaps finance is not necessarily the best uh, means of support. Perhaps uh, other things, I'm just calling them business development services here, but I'm thinking of training and uh, um, uh, uh, training and related activities like that, uh, that might help. Uh, and that needs to be looked at as well. But again, um, you know, possibly commercial banks are not The best uh, agencies to provide such services. Perhaps Smeda is, but I don't know. I've not really looked at the the effectiveness of Smeda in um, business development services. Uh, So I leave it at that. Uh, As I said, the implication is we've got to look again at why very few firms are registering. Uh, We've got to look at um, uh, refocusing the size based programs and of the distinction between net creators and net destroyers of jobs. And this might lead to some rethinking of, uh, of what are the channels and methods of support that would work best if we change the target population to what I've suggested here. So uh, thank you very much. That's my presentation for the moment. I'm happy to now turn it over back to uh, the Vice Chancellor uh, and uh, before that I'll just put up my uh, email address on the last page so anyone who wishes to write to me directly or to Adil can uh, contact us there. Uh, thank you. Back to you, Nadeem.
0: Thank you, Farooq. Thank you very much. I think it's a very useful, very interesting paper, very interesting discussion. Do send it to us. We'll make it a paper if you allow. I think it's very important to have you are trying to make PIDE into a platform for all research in Pakistan. So it would be important to have stuff like this as a working paper. Of course, you're free to publish it wherever you like. But uh, we'll certainly consider it for PDR if you, if you want us to, but that's up to you. But if you as a working paper, you have no obligations not to publish elsewhere. So give us the paper, we'll certainly publish to the working paper. Okay. Let me also say that uh, this is exactly what we talk about all the time at internal PIDE meetings that we need more of our researchers to focus on research like this and build on each other's work. So so I'm very happy that you have given us a number of ideas to explore further, because our students are always looking for thesis topics. And I think it will be wonderful for them to build on your work and discover new data sets and work with them, work with the GEM data set. So inshallah, I think we'll see some new theses based on your work. I think you explored job creation, you explored size, age, entrepreneurship, a lot of different things that need to be fleshed out further, and of course have deep implications for policy. And we must think this through. And of course, the tax regime is totally destroying the country, but uh, that's because we have not got a handle on that yet. But let me come to the discussions quickly. Uh, we've got two great discussions, folks, both from the PAD, and they will hopefully um, explore the paper further and give you some fresh ideas on where to go. Uh, So first, Usman Qadir. We've got two Usman's, Usman Qadir and Usman Ahmed. So first Usman Qadir, then Usman Ahmed. Usman Qadir, go ahead.
3: Uh, Good evening, uh, everyone. Um, Thank you for the paper. Dr. Um, I'll just briefly summarize the paper as I understood it from the version I was given. It's basically arguing that the industrial policy in Pakistan is designed to target firms according to their size and it incentivizes small and medium-sized firms. And there is limited research on the role of firm size and age in determining employment growth in Pakistani firms. And uh, you found evidence of employment growth being inversely related to firm size, while age does not appear to have a statistically significant impact on employment growth. Um, This is a very um, I would say original and novel uh, research. It's important for us because we don't have much research here on uh, industrial topics. So it's good to see this. I do have some, um, I guess, confusion or some concerns uh, regarding the paper that I was shared. Uh, one is basically your uh, argument that industrial policy is targeting or is geared towards incentivizing or favoring the uh, small firms. Um, uh, the industrial the last industrial policy that I'm aware of that we had fired in 2015. There hasn't been a new one since then. KP, I think has come up with a new policy, but it's just for that province. And overall for Pakistan, we don't have one. So. Uh, the ones that i'm aware of they've been geared towards encouraging production in product specific areas rather than in industries rather than according to the size of the firm and that was my understanding maybe i have it wrong um so i've been looking at it through that lens um the write up that you it's not very clear on how exactly uh, you're looking at this so uh, if you could elaborate further on that uh, I think it would be great because it's a, I think, a uh, new approach, looking at things. So, okay. Uh, now, the economic landscape in Pakistan is very different from what we would find in developed countries. I think you also stressed that. And it's even different from what you find in other developing countries. So I'm not sure why the you know, the model you're using, why that's being used rather than one which is geared towards the situation in pakistan and, uh, i know you want to compare it but i think we need further research first on what the situation is in pakistan and then we can start comparing with other countries uh, and uh, okay uh, the literature you're uh, focusing on is uh, role of age and um, firm age and firm size on employment growth. Uh, the literature, I would have wanted to see more of, you know, discussion on that It seemed a little, uh, you know, not to. Um, um, what do you call it? Uh, wasn't linking well, I think. For me, I wasn't getting the point uh, from the literature review that you had here. Uh, the theory and the conceptual framework would have been nice if it could be included in there because it helped put things in perspective. And there's no uh, discussion on the manufacturing sector in Pakistan, the situation at the time of, uh, you know, you use the data set for 2013 to 15. So. Even if the situation, then how many firms there were in all or output or anything that's not there. I don't know. Maybe it'll help. You know, contextualize the problem.
0: Okay. And, okay. Um, Is
3: that it? I think uh, it may help if the you could supplement or complement this with uh, case studies of industries in Pakistan. I found that, um, you know, going to the firms and asking them actually what's going on, you get a different picture from what emerges from just the data. So I don't know if you want to consider doing that. I think it'll help make the discussion more vibrant. Okay. Great. Yeah, that would be it.
0: Thank you very much. Now let's go to Osman Ahmed. Osman Ahmed, sir. <laughs> Good
4: evening. Thank you. Uh, uh for being, and uh, uh thank you for the nice uh, presentation the nice discussion i have uh, uh, some point uh, which is more or less uh, uh same as uh, dr usman qadir so first of all and please accept my apologies if there is uh something being uh, uh, not appropriate. So uh, the first thing which I understand uh, uh, from uh, the introduction that your focus uh, is uh, more on uh, the small firm and hypothesis based on the industrial policies for small firms. But in uh, if you look at the reality, as I understand uh, that policies uh, ever been for the large firms, as uh, the large firm has uh, uh, a strong political economy, strong lobbying, uh, for, uh, just uh, a little bit, uh, a small example of the trim, uh, Trump. Trump uh, startedly impose uh, uh, the tariff, and uh, at the, that that time, Apple uh, is a big company, so a uh, big company compa- compared to the other firms. So uh, but not impose impose the tariff, and uh, uh, the the literature, literature review. Uh, I feel that uh, like uh, uh, Usman Qadir that. literature review there's a need uh, to develop uh, some linkage more linkage with the literature review and uh, in if uh, look at in the conclusion uh, uh, let me see where is the conclusion yes so uh, if uh, uh, see the conclusion that uh, as firm size increases the rate of employment growth decline they ask uh, that, uh, that any Theory behind uh, uh, this, and uh, uh, you're saying that the big number, uh, uh, the big firms, the big big firm, means that the labor uh, size decreases. And uh, the last one, which, uh, which I uh, wonder if uh, you can share me. That I uh, saw a paper in the European Journal of Applied Business Management, March 2020, assessing the factor of a factor affecting growth of small firms in Pakistan, that uh, the paper used the same uh, data set uh, you have used, and they uh, quoted that there uh, are number of firms belonging to the manufacturing sector is 1086. In your paper, you are quoting that the number of firms at 19, 19, uh, 971. So may, may ask uh, the, the, why this is uh, the difference? Thank you.
0: Thank you very much. Farooq. why don't you take those questions? And I'll All invite right. anybody who yes. wants to ask questions, et cetera, should please start raising your hands while Farooq answers or takes up the discussion's comments.
1: Very good. Um, So I'll take care of the easiest one, which was the last one. Uh, Is there a a difference in the number? Yes, Bass and Company who published in uh, uh, the European Journal of Applied Business and is the alphabetically the first reference I've cited in my paper. Uh, uh, I'll check that again to see why they say 1076. I simply... uh, Uh, looked up the World Bank Enterprise Survey data website to find out uh, uh, what they say were the number of uh, uh, observations, what what was the sample size, and what then when we looked at only manufacturing firms, what we got. So uh, that's an easy one to uh, uh, deal with. But uh, I doubt that it has any implications for the results. So it's, it's, a, it's a nice point to clarify, but it doesn't have any implications. I'm not... uh, the second point, which both the reviewers have mentioned, I should clarify. Uh, when I say that uh, uh, industrial policy in many countries is linked to the size of the firm, I do not mean to say that it is only linked to the size of the firm. In many countries, there is a domain of industrial policy that is linked to the size of the firm, another domain in which industrial policy is linked to export promotion, still another domain in which industrial policy is linked to innovation, and so on and so forth. We are dealing only with the sub with the, that part of industrial policy, which is linked to size. And we wish to understand the empirical basis for that policy. So uh, nowhere would I claim that industrial policy in Pakistan is only concerned with size. Indeed, it is not. Uh, it is concerned with many things other than size. But there is a part that is concerned with size. It's not a, uh, uh, it's not a small, it's not an uh, uh, sort of irrelevant part. It's a substantial part. And at one point, not now, but at one point, um, uh, the quotas imposed on banks to lend to small firms were substantial and, and, you know, had a problem. But anyhow, so that's it. So the clarification is that we are dealing with the domain of industrial policy that is linked to size, and we wish to understand the empirical basis of that. So Mm -hmm. that's all on that part. Uh, Now, in terms of some of the other points that have come up, I should probably just... uh, 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 mention. I am never sure what people mean when they say that the economic uh, conditions of Pakistan are different from those in other developing countries. Of course, they are. But I would like to go one step further and find out how that would change either our modeling strategy or our results. When we look at a random sample survey of Pakistani data, we get much better information on the Pakistani context than any case study of a single um, uh, uh, industry, any uh, non-random, non-generalizable database that people might have. So uh, for for researchers in economics, it's very important to keep in mind the distinction between random and non-random databases cannot generalize from non-random databases. If you're going to be talking about national economic policy, please make sure that you have a national data set stratified by size, by region, by industry, so that all of these good properties are there. So yes, I'm perfectly happy to accept that uh, economic conditions in Pakistan uh, may be different from other countries, but that's why we have a national data set to look at this. And uh, why do we have the same model as used in the literature? That makes it easier to compare. If uh, you can think of a way that this would be done with some unique model, great. That's also possible. Uh, We chose to kind of keep the uh, noise to a minimum by saying, we're simply using a, a, by the way, the model is very straightforward. That's how you would check. You would disaggregate by size. That's how you would check. Uh, There are different ways of disaggregating by size, but or by age but you know this is uh, this is one way so I'm happy if, if you have some comments or suggestions on well you could test it this way or that way I'd, I would certainly take that uh, into account uh, but at the moment for comparability it seemed that we should simply uh, replicate a model that is accepted in the literature already um, the literature review well um, you know uh, If you wish to do a literature review of size and age studies in Pakistan, the uh, available set is zero, meaning there are no studies of size and age together. Now, if you wish to do a literature review of uh, studies that have looked at the impact of size, uh, I point out that I was able to find only one or two. Those are mentioned in the the, um, the, uh, the review. and age as well, only one. Uh, researchers in Pakistan have not focused on this question. As a result, the literature review base is actually very small. Uh, so that's part of the reason why. I mean, I'd like to do, you know, one can fill up a journal paper with the literature review if you have, you know, bunches bunch of the things. But in Pakistan, the, um, the situation is bad. One of the reasons is because, uh, uh, at least, uh, you know, a, a new census of manufacturing industries has not been released for a while. Even it it had that allows you to look at other things besides employment growth. Uh, so, you know, we have data data issues as well. Uh, but fortunately, at least for this question, the series of World Bank enterprise surveys allows you to uh, to do this. And the um, three or three studies that I've mentioned for both size and age uh, mm-hmm. are based on these. Uh, Uh, on this database, but in different years. Um, All right. Um, The discussion of the manufacturing sector. um, uh, Yes, but I'm not, I mean, one could put in more discussion, but uh, uh, I'm not exactly sure what, uh, how that would add to the uh, to the modeling strategy or the findings. the only relevant thing from my perspective was that in 2013 mm. uh, we were in a situation where electricity the supply of power to the industrial sector was a big problem and that is why i thought that entering at least one variable which looked at the effect of the of uh, availability of electricity was important and that comes from the, the country context uh, um, you know that that's the infrastructure variable that I chose. Uh, one could choose other variables if they if, if 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 they were, but you know this was one thing that uh, uh, was important. Um, and uh, so that's that's sort of the the issue. But other than that, frankly, I I don't know what else uh, one could put in about the manufacturing sector that would change the results one way or the other. Um, the um, um, except for one point, what we have found about the manufacturing sector is that there are very few young firms in the manufacturing sector. We didn't know that, at least I didn't know that. This is the first, I mean, this is the first time I've come across something which showed me the age distribution of firms in the manufacturing sector. And lo and behold, we find that less than 3% or around 3% of the firms are five years or less. That's uh, you know I I personally will follow that up with more research, but I, I would suggest that anyone of you who's interested look into this. This is uh, um, you know um, why are there such so few young firms? Uh, it's it's a, it's something to uh, to follow up on. Um, the final point was about using more case studies. Yeah, that could be I I uh, uh, I do. Uh, not for this paper necessarily, but for a follow-up um, I'm, uh, in particular the age result may be different for different industries. Um, we have, uh, uh, there's a study that I've come across uh, uh, not based on the same database, but uh, it's only for the textile sector uh, and they showed that young innovative firms were associated with higher employment growth in the textile sector in Pakistan. Uh, that's very interesting. That would be in accord with my priors. I would expect young innovative firms to do that too. Um, but at this point, I'm looking at the national database, not one particular sector. Uh, but uh, it's, some, it's certainly something which uh, one can follow up on. Uh, the, uh, I'm. I'm. Uh, I would not be surprised if the results we find for the national sample as a whole, manufacturing, um, uh, may not be uh, uh, confirmed by one or two sectors in the sample. That's perfectly all right. I mean, the national sample is giving you some kind of an average of the results, uh, but there may be a few sectors, textile may be one of them, there may be others, it will require some checking. Uh, But we do have that information. I mean, one version of this is we could do some kind of interaction uh, term for uh, sector and age to see if that uh, works out. But at the moment, I thought I would just focus on the big, broad results, uh, which, um, uh, frankly, I was surprised had not been highlighted for Pakistan before. So even though this is, a, uh, from a methodological point of view, a uh, straightforward study, I think it uh, comes up with results and implications that are uh, worth uh, uh, considering further uh, thank you back to you
0: don't be surprised that pakistan has not s- studied many topics i found that pakistan is extremely under researched because our yeah. economy are so busy chasing donors and i don't know what donor agendas are we the we, i find people who are focusing on for example the impact of the sunspots on pakistan's economy <laughs> or something i mean i find bizarre titles but that's not for here. We'll discuss it from other time. Climate Let's, change. Let me just, climate change is very big in Pakistan, Very and gender is very big. But I will not go there. I've already been lambasted for these things. So I'll stop there. I'll ask Dr. Adil Nahuda, uh, Nahuda, who is also the co-author of the paper. Dr. Sub, do you want to say anything as well, just in passing? Then we can go and uh, take some questions from the floor. I've got a couple of questions from the floor.
2: Well, uh, no, no, not much. I don't have much to say. I think Dr. Farooq has covered everything that I had to say. Thank you.
0: Okay, so, yeah. okay, okay, then let me go to the floor. There's yeah. Alia Khan first. Alia Khan, go ahead. Professor Alia Khan from Gee, thank University. You. University, go ahead. Thank you, thank you. Um, Dr. Farooq, it was a very interesting presentation. Um, my question is that um,
2: basically it's the conundrum about the transition from informality to formality. Uh, And how do you see that playing out in terms of Pakistan's linking up with uh, regional value chains and global value chains, and especially in the post-COVID environment? Uh, If we keep on with business as usual, what kind of scenario do you think uh, is going to play out in that context? Thank you.
1: Great. Uh, Go ahead. Uh, may, I, may I respond or, uh, one by one? Well, go ahead. Sure. Mm-hmm. OK. All right. Uh, Dr. Thank Alia, thank you. That's a very interesting question. Um, I I would characterize the state of affairs in Pakistan as follows, that there are a number of uh, profitable businesses in which uh, people are well set. Uh, and. Uh, they may or may not be part of international value chains, but they are well set, there are good profit margins, and they are not really showing any signs of uh, great productivity or innovation, uh, but the, uh, the they're at an equilibrium. The folks who are there uh, are, are well set, and they've got a policy environment more or less to their liking, because they have uh, an interaction with bureaucrats too calibrate that policy uh, in that fashion. Uh, so that that's there. And it's at that point that one begins to think that if you're going to break out of this equilibrium, the only groups that are going to be able to do that are smaller, younger groups. Mm. And if uh, if we are finding very few of them in the data, mm. that's a point of concern for me. So um, I think your question was possibly based on that concern as well, that uh, uh, how are we going to get a transition into international value chains if uh, such a small proportion of firms are of this variety of uh, young and um, sort of dynamic? Um, I, share, I share that concern. I think we, we need to look at this carefully. We need to uh, consider. Uh, through research. I mean, that's how I, I, uh, what are the factors that prevent firms from, uh, let's use an infelicitous term, uh, formalizing. Uh, It's something to think about. And if it turns out that the main factor is the FBR, well, then, you know, uh, there must be a way of dealing with that too at some point. Once our revenue fixation brought about by periodic BOP and fiscal crisis is over, let's find a way to take the yoke off the neck of uh, potential entrepreneurs. Fair point, fair point.
0: Mm, Thank you very much. Abdullah Khan, sir? Abdullah Khan? Yes, sir, thank you so much. I want to ask the question uh, I've already commented that I want to confirm if there are uh, any other
1: the failure of failure of being un- un- entrepreneurial of Pakistanis, what are other reasons
2: if there were any i missed, i think i have missed um, so,
1: so this is a question about question, the about the determinants of Entrepreneurship and why the rate of entrepreneurship is measured to be so low. Right? That's your question. Yes, Mr. Khan. Yes. Sir. Okay. Yes. Yes. Sir. Uh, this is what I want. Well, uh, uh, look, we uh, in our paper we didn't set out to answer that particular question. It's something that came up in the results, and then a little bit of extra research showed that the rate of entrepreneurship is also low. Um, So my first uh, uh, sort of comment on that is that this really needs to be researched more uh, effectively. And uh, fortunately, after a break of uh, seven, eight years, Pakistan has done another entrepreneurship survey. So I'm hoping that when the results are released, when the data are released, people will look at that and figure out What is going on? Why is the rate so low? Uh, My understanding from the past survey was basically um, that there were some cultural factors uh, and at least one economic factor that uh, resulted in this. The cultural factors were related to, A, fear of failure. uh, B, possibly this this aspect that, well, I don't know if it's cultural or economic, that, that you would go to jail if you failed that if you went bankrupt you would go to jail. Um, so that's something that needs to be looked at, right? Um, there may be a third cultural slash economic factor at work, which is that uh, uh, you know the government has for many years been an important employer and uh, many people uh, prefer the uh, prefer employment in the government. Even at a low uh, wage level or whatever, because of security and other aspects, uh, to um, entrepreneurship. Uh, so, you know, the typical college grad wants a job in the government. Uh, so, it's possible. I, I I'm simply speculating here. It's possible that uh, a uh, dominant role of the public sector in uh, employment in the past has generated uh, expectations and norms among people, among uh, graduates, um, which are anti-entrepreneurship. So that would be my answer.
0: Entrepreneurship is a big issue that I think needs to be examined very carefully. We haven't had enough studies on that, neither on small firms. So I hope that students will be inspired by you. This year, we are trying to get a whole new set of theses started and these issues are going to be very prominent in that faroch, and we'll probably call on you to help out with some of these kids. I think you've got, you've got enough time on your hands <laughs> that you might yes. totally be able to help us. Sarah Nizamani. Sarah Nizamani has just joined your old institution IBA. Uh, she uh, rejected the PID to go to IBA. So, but nevertheless, we'll entertain her today. <laughs> okay.
2: <laughs> Uh, sir, uh, my, my name is Sarah Nizamani, and I'm a research fellow at IBA and I have to remind Dr. Nadeem that sir, I still have an honorary position with PIDE. So sure. please do not forget that I have an honorary position with PIDE. Correct,
0: correct, correct. <laughs> uh, uh,
2: yes, sir, sir I, this was a great presentation, but like Abdullah, I'm also stuck on entrepreneurship because the stats you have shared for entrepreneurship are very worrisome. Uh, one of the things entrepreneurship needs to flourish is access to credit, and uh, this is where microfinancing firms—they become heroes—and but 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 the evidence it shows that microfinancing has its own troubles. They have patchy regulation, lot of loops or, loops all, and they charge extortionary rates. So my question is: Did you come across any study which highlights predatory lending in this country? Did you? Thank you, sir.
1: Predatory lending. Uh, No, again, I did not. It was not the area where I looked at. But uh, uh, I think it should be possible to examine the link between entrepreneurship and access to finance using the GEM data that's now available, both uh, the 2012 version and the 2019-20 version when when it's published. By the way, that was collected that was sponsored by the World Bank Pakistan office. So I think uh, uh, if uh, someone writes to them, they may be able to give you an update on the status of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, um, uh, I could not find the last uh, a report on the 2019 survey for Pakistan online. But that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It, it may not yet have been released online, but it should be. Mm-hmm. Um, Yes, look, uh, uh, having said that, the nexus you have described between entrepreneurship and finance and predatory lending, it's certainly there. There's global literature on it. One could look at it. But uh, the global literature tends to suggest that finance is not the constraint to entrepreneurship. Uh, Most entrepreneurs the world over finance their startups informally. This is the famous friends and family response to questions on access to finance. Uh, In Pakistan, at least at the IBA, when I was there, I I began to form the impression that uh, students thought entrepreneurship meant having uh, having a uh, sort of a software product and uh, having a bank loan. But that's not what entrepreneurship means for the millions of people who actually start new businesses. It may be, it may be something that is uh, circulating among a higher level of business graduates and all of that. But that's, you know, in the world of entrepreneurship, that's a very small domain. right? Uh, so, but now if you look at the standard businesses that people set up, it's, uh, it's very different. Um, Anyhow, I I would simply say that uh, you've got a good point, one should look into it. And um, uh, uh, while I suggested that microfinance firms might be better than commercial firms at uh, uh, resolving some of the access finance problems of companies, small companies, maybe that's not true either. Maybe you're right. Maybe they are predatory in such a way that uh, they hurt small businesses. Uh, But as I said, Uh, the uh, finance for small firms is generally in in the literature that I've read not a major concern for entrepreneurs and um, uh, it is provided by friends and family. Thank you.
0: you. Before I let you go, let me just raise two or three issues that I think will be important for a wider discussion. One is that uh, when you stratify your data like this I think one thing has already come up which is important and probably worth to somebody else to think about that if we kind of stratify firms into consumer capital textile whatever different kinds of firms will the result that you are thinking of I mean different categories will will it change at all or not related to also the issue of I mean, what about interactions of age and size? You also allude to that. What about interactions of age and size? Because the thing that kind of, that, that kind of s- s- sticks in my mind is, the small firms that chart that you showed, showed with churning and disruption, in a sense, we are seeing those small firms that may not last for a long time, that may be transitory or not successful in, 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 in over time. But then at the other end, there are successful firms who've, who've lived for the last 20, 30 years. And of those firms, some are successful, like Unilever, for example, or Barbaralee's package is very successful, right? But some other firms like, you know, this shop sitting in the middle of Mall Road, which is kind of still stagnant, not improving. Uh, so obviously, those, they will have remarkably different results. The small guy may be pulling down the results of Barbara Lee, for example. And related to this also is the issue of that, Barbara Lee, for example, in a big firm, will be offering quality jobs. The small firm will be offering, uh, as Ilo says, Babrilli will be offering good jobs, and the small firm will be offering informal employment. So, to speak. so is there any way to distinguish this and sharpen the result or?
1: Yes, uh, very good. Okay, I'll, I'll just provide some uh, contextual information and then uh, you know maybe we can have a little discussion of how, how this moves. So first of all, the stratification that the uh, uh, World Bank Enterprise Survey does is by uh, three, uh, Uh, Categories, size, so they have, they make sure that uh, a a reasonable number of small, medium, and large firms are available in the sample. That's why they do not stratify by age. In this case, I think they should not, but they do not. Uh, They stratify by industry, which means at the, I think Adil might know this better, uh, they classify firms according to the industrial sector in which they operate, and that would be maybe about. two-digit level. Uh, Adil, uh, can you come in on this?
2: Yes, yeah, so they do stratify. So they actually go down to four-digit level, right, with the oh. ISIC code. So okay. the ISIC code, they have like very detailed analysis. So what we have done is, um, then we have uh, we have uh, taken that into account. And we have then, do, we have actually gone into a more aggregated level with two-digit level. So yes. our stratification, so that includes the basic textile, leather, uh, tobacco or whatever the other ones are, like uh, maybe machinery producers, et cetera. So we have so, a much more.
1: Yes. Very good. So we could actually disaggregate the sample into detailed categories. It would mean, however, uh, that the uh, number of firms in each category would become very small and that would limit the kind of analysis you could do. Uh, but again, our purpose was mostly to get a Picture of the aggregate, uh, you know, what's going on uh, in a national average kind of sense. So that's why we, but we do, uh, we do use industry fixed effects uh, with these 20 to 30 uh, categories of uh, for all of our runs, because that stabilizes the model. It, it makes sure that you're not getting certain things which are due to uh, effects from just one sector. So that does it. Um, so but but yeah uh, depending on the particular sector we could do more detailed analysis and i think that the age finding in particular may be uh, you know more relevant in some sectors than others and you know one could one could do that uh, the churning issue is is quite uh, interesting uh, as i said all such databases have a survivor bias because only those who survive are included. Those are the ones who get surveyed. Those who exit are not. Um, So uh, when you have a survivor bias, yes, you could say that uh, 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 firms, more more young firms performed than we capture in the data because many of them exited. Hmm. Uh, So that's a possibility. I'll have to look into that, but I think that's, certainly true. Uh, Churning is there. I mean, that uh, chart I showed you is just very clear that uh, there are lots of uh, small firms that uh, have negative uh, employment uh, growth uh, in some years. Right. Uh, So that's that's it. Uh, The most difficult one really is this business of good jobs versus bad jobs. And uh, my way of uh, sort of dealing with that is to simply say, let's just get some jobs first. You know, we'll deal with the good versus bad at some point, but uh, uh, people should, you know, graduates or even high school graduates should have some sense that uh, with basic literacy and numeracy, their uh, uh, station in life will be better than their parents. Uh, I suspect that that has not yet taken hold because. um, you know they're not uh, they're not getting those kinds of uh, jobs at all. They're basically uh, sure. driven into needs-based uh, entrepreneurship or something like that. Uh, but again, these are things that um, uh, you know the data have thrown this up, and we have to look and kind of.
0: Now, two them. results that surprise me. One was this innovation thing, the negative yes. bias of innovation. I mean, innovation is not really a process innovation, it's a product innovation. So right. what you're saying is a country, company that has started, let's say Coca-Cola starts a new Coke, or you know, somebody starts a new product, that instead of expanding the labor force, they're actually contracting it, which is surprising. <laughs> the second right. thing is also surprising is that you're saying the tax man's visit. Now, yeah, we all hate tax man. And yes, he's, in Pakistan, is particularly nasty. And you're right that the tax man's visit will obviously have a negative uh, you know, effect. But at the same time, I- I'm still thinking in terms of successful firm versus the you know, the surviving firms and the non-surviving firms. That if I think of something like, let's say, going back to um, you know, Barber Lee's firms or whatever, which are very successful, which have innovative products also coming out, etc. When they grow a new product, they will obviously expand. And at the same time, they are obviously more likely to be visited by a taxman. So I was thinking of a proxy. What if we could attach something like presence on the stock market? Would that swamp out these two variables, or would it not? Let's say if we could—I don't know whether you can or not. Let's say if we take—if we can get the firm's presence on the stock market—is it listed on the stock market or not? Would it wipe out those two variables or not? Just to you know. Mm. Uh, a thought experiment, nothing else. I'm sure you can't do it, but you know, something worthwhile for some kid to do. Interesting. Uh, Mm.
1: So I'll have to check whether the survey asked anything about uh, listing or not listing. So Mm. that's, uh, uh, but I should point out that, um, you know, I mean, Pakistan has only has less than a thousand listed companies of which there are probably less than a hundred active companies in terms of you know, doing something. So uh, that whole domain is uh, to me somewhat irrelevant to, to national okay. economic development. It is very relevant to some groups but you know, uh, not to that. So but um, I'll have to check uh, just that. Uh, the innovation result, is uh, surprising. Mm. Uh, there is one study actually published in PDR last mm. year mm. where the, uh, where the uh, uh, researcher did an uh, endogenous model-based uh, estimation and found that uh, uh, for Pakistani firms in low-tech sectors, mm. innovation was a plus. Not in high tech sectors. Mm-hmm. The uh, the uh, and and the you are able to identify high tech, low tech by mm-hmm. looking through the industry category and sort of saying where are they located. There's a so, uh, but it's a it's a it's an interesting result. It seems to fit with priors, but at the same time, uh, I realize that uh, if you think about uh, the theory of, uh, of uh, uh, if, if, you know, innovation gives you a quasi-monopoly position market mm-hmm. in a local market. Supposing you have an innovative product, it, it, it gives you a quasi-monopoly position. Quasi-monopoly positions tend to be associated with uh, equilibriums that are uh, lo- lower on quantity and lower on um, uh, size, uh, but higher on price right? I mean, the standard uh, imperfect competition result. Uh, so if you follow that, you'd say there is no theoretical reason to expect that innovative firms will also be growing faster, because they may find it in their interest to grow slower, keep their you know, uh, output small, but their price high. Uh, beyond this, I'm not sure exactly how to kind of uh, uh, work well, with this. Right? I suspect that um, uh, I suspect that uh, uh, more careful focused studies on the innovation uh, employment link will show in some sectors what our priors are, which is that uh, really these firms ought to be doing better. But this is not what this study was about. It just It's one of the control variables that turn out that way.
0: So. I'm urging our students, Farooq, to think about researching the industry in their own areas. Let's say if the student is from Sargoda or Gujarat or Tandojam or whatever, that student should try and do a little survey of their own industry and try and focus in, hone in on these little problems and maybe we'll learn a little more. So let's see, I mean, it's a long-term dream. Let's see if happens or not. But before I let you go, I just want both you and your co-author to reflect on the broader theme, which I guess is begging to be answered. What is your take on industrial policy? This is a subject that's always on the anvil. Almost in every government, in every regime we hear, and even the World Bank is kind of going back and forth on this, should we have an industrial policy or not? And if we should, what do you think are the main, poli- main elements of the industrial policy? So a broad question, just <laughs> reflection. Just a reflection for students to get some. To get some, okay. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, All right, well, so I'll speculate uh, broadly, but uh, also point out that uh, this is not related to the paper, per se, because the paper is on a very specific thing, very narrow topic. I concede. I concede. So uh, industrial policy, uh, my uh, 30 years at the World Bank uh, uh, instilled some biases, if you will, in me. And one of those biases is that, developing countries uh, should find a way to make the best use of their Mm -hmm. most uh, uh, plentiful resource, which is unskilled labor. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, the best way to do that is to get engaged in export activities, labor-intensive goods, and so on and so forth. So the entire history of East Asia uh, over the last 50, 60 years is something that made a big difference. impression on me and I've often just wondered why Pakistan has never been able to get on the export uh, uh, train as it were um, and you know, I just have not uh, and I've not come across very uh, come across uh, empirical studies showing what the key problems have been but I understand the problems you know are in I mean, this is the stuff of industrial policy discussion uh, in Pakistan. But I, I'm more empirical in my own orientation, so I'd like to read studies that actually show you what's going on, either at the case study level or at a larger level. But having said that, uh, my prior remains the same, uh, that industrial policy should be focused in such a way that they get uh, more Pakistani firms involved in exports. And uh, the entire range of things that uh, connect to that, uh, including uh, uh, including uh, infrastructure, port infrastructure, uh, human capital, uh, and sort of quote unquote general business climate conditions would be appropriate for uh, review. So uh, uh, that's what I would say. I mean, I, I, that's a bias that I have through my Past experience uh, that this this works, and you really have to find a way to get into that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm very impressed with the fact that Bangladesh, which shares uh, many institutional characteristics with us, um, has gotten onto this train in a bigger way than we have. So, uh, so one can point to various things, but Bangladesh has gotten on and it has uh, generated much more, you mentioned gender, I mean, frankly, they have generated much more gender empowerment through the participation of young women in the uh, garment industry than could have been done in any other fashion, legislated or otherwise. And uh, to me, that's a plus, you know, with all its uh, issues, that's a plus. So that would be my response at this
0: point. No, no, fair enough, fair enough,
2: appreciate that. I just thought I'd get your comments on that.
0: Adil sir, do you want to say anything?
1: Yes, sure.
2: So (laughs) I would second Dr. Farooq's comments on this and then uh, add to this that, yes, you need to boost your exports, but that would come at the way that you need to make your import uh, flow right much easier. So this whole idea that we have that import substitution, et cetera, yes, that is a good idea, it's a very, noble cause like that, you're you're actually increasing your whole production and all local production. But the problem is that we are stuck with having low quality goods in Pakistan. We need to now think about the fact that, yes, the world has moved away from tariffs and has now moved towards what we call non-tariff measures. So the whole idea is that it's the implementation of non-tariff measures which is becoming much more important. That is looking at standard and quality of products that we are importing as well that we are producing. Are we able to produce the goods that are meeting the standard and quality requirements that are uh, needed for other countries, even for Africa, right? Because Africa is harmonizing its standards and its uh, imports are being harmonized with those of Europe. So, if that is the case, we will be actually be even locked out of the African market eventually in the next ten to twenty years. Uh, East Asian market is becoming tougher. Even some of the about I've heard is that some of the exporters to Bangladesh compare uh, the uh, actually tell us that. Um, Exporting to Bangladesh is becoming ba- uh, tougher because of the standards that they have imposed on our products. China, again, if you want to export to China, you have to meet the requirements that they're imposing. China is one of the countries that has the most amount of technical measures. They have the highest intensity of technical measures imposed on their imports. So if you want to export to China, you'll we'll face those uh, barriers as well. So we need to look at when we talk about the industrial policy, trade policy, having a good trade policy is a must and that liberalizes well liberalization of imports is a given but you also need to focus on the quality of production and that happens again that will require competition etc coming into the industry so that's so, all you have to open up in that sense as well
1: Nadim, I have I have one more uh, point mm-hmm. uh, one of the things that I didn't know before I went to Pakistan at the IBA four years ago but now I do mm-hmm. is that Pakistan surprisingly ranks very high uh, in one statistic, and that is the number of people who have individual freelance software contracts. Mm -hmm. So This is a very narrow domain. These are people who rent themselves out for task work to international software companies or uh, other companies. And it turns out that there are lots of Pakistani entrepreneurs at that level, which uh, was surprising to me. Uh, and uh, it's like the third or the fourth largest contingent of uh, uh, individual task or service suppliers in the world, which which is very surprising because you've got you know China and India to contend with, uh, and Russia and all. But anyhow, so uh, I suspect that mm. there there may be something there, uh, that there is a domain in which individual Pakistanis mm. with some software training, coding, whatnot, have mm. established, have already established, and this is an export business, by the way, mm. Uh, mm. because you, you're contracting out to uh, uh, mm. foreign uh, uh, companies. Mm. Um, maybe something worth looking into when I say that... Uh, labor-intensive manufacturing exports is the way to go, maybe we should uh, modify that by saying there may be some new areas, new domains, such as uh, information services, software, where this is also possible, and where the heavy hand of uh, bureaucracy and and uh, impeding infrastructure is not yet uh, there, so.
0: Thank you you very much. Thank you very much. A very, very good discussion. I've often argued that our entrepreneurial capital has been wasted on migration. People have been running away from their country and that's the most entrepreneurial possibility that is open to them. Because within this country, the bureaucracy and the tax man and the permission economy we learned the other day from the telephone companies, for example, Farooq, that just to lay fiber optics requires 41 permissions. Right, from many industries we've learned there are 35, 40 permissions that are required. We are a permission economy. So anybody who dares to become an entrepreneur has to seek 20,000 permissions. There is now a new no objections certificate that is required. When you are selling land, you have to get any property that you're selling, you have to get a no objection certificate from the government. So I think pretty soon it'll be to go to the bathroom, I have to get a no objection (laughs) certificate. So What do you expect? But thank you very much. I think this is what we need more of to inspire our students to um, talk more, understand more. And inshallah, we'll continue this conversation. Farukh, we would like you to stay engaged with us. You're going to be one of our senior fellows, guiding our students, helping us think through things. And keep giving us your work. Please come and keep giving us your talks, even whatever you've done at the bank, because this is how our kids will learn. We have to come back and talk more. Our idea is to establish an economic conversation through the country and to make PID a platform. Hopefully, we'll get somewhere in that direction. But thank you. Thank you, everybody. It's wonderful of you for to give us time. It's wonderful of you, Adil, to give us time and everybody to participate. Thank you all. We'll talk again soon. Good Very afternoon. good. Thank you. Thank you.